All right, Competitor Nation, we're kicking off a brand new episode with the man of discipline himself, Brian Kite. What's up, Competitor Nation? Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and we are back with a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast to finish out January 2021. We are rolling along almost through with the first month of the brand new year, and I hope you're still going strong. I hope you're not like most people who have already fallen off with the new habits, new systems, new goals. They gave up their New Year's resolutions last week, and they're going to be complaining in a month or two that they just couldn't get it done. They didn't have the discipline. They didn't have the mental toughness to see their goal all the way through. And what they fail to realize is mental toughness, discipline, competing, It's a choice that we make every day. If we want to be mentally tougher, we have to make mentally tougher choices throughout our day. We have to lean into that discomfort. We have to train ourselves to do work when we're not motivated. We don't just take the default of excuses. We've got to build that discipline muscle, build our ability to do what we need to do, to do the right thing, to take action, to move forward regardless of how we feel. As Brian would say, it doesn't matter, just get better. Doesn't matter, get better. That is a theme today with my conversation with the man behind the daily discipline, Brian Kite. If you're not familiar with his work, you're probably one of the few listening to this. And so I can't wait for you to hear today's conversation and to get following along because Brian was one of the most requested people that we have on the podcast in 2021. When I ask for feedback on the show, what guests do you want to hear in 2021? Tons of you wrote in that you wanted to hear Brian because Brian's mentality around the daily discipline, Brian's mindset with doesn't matter, get better, mixing realism and optimism aligns so very well with Compete Every Day. It aligns so very well with the content and messages we talk about here. And so today's conversation is pure gold. Brian and I get into a ton of different things that honestly I didn't have planned going in, but I absolutely love because he dropped some wisdom. And and more than that, we talked real life. We didn't talk fairy tales, rah-rah, get you excited, motivational speakers living in a van down by the river. We talked how do you show up and compete in your life? How do you show up and compete in your training? How do you make the decision to put yourself out there, even if you're going to lose, even if you're going to fail, because that's what competing is all about. We win or we learn what it takes to win. As Brian and I laugh today, everybody wants to win, but not everybody wants to compete. And this show, you listening, you are one of the few that wants to compete. This show is for those who want to compete. And so today's going to be a great conversation on how we do that better in our daily life. As always, to get in touch with the show, drop us an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. And if you haven't yet, help us reach new people by taking five seconds, sharing this episode on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, sending an email to a friend, someone that can improve their life by building their discipline, by understanding what it means to show up and compete. Take a few seconds, do that. Help someone change the trajectory on where they're going by learning how they can improve their mindset and how they can show up in their work, their workouts, and their life. As always, competitor, I'm cheering for you. We created this show for you. We created this brand for you because we want to see you show up and compete so that when you get to the end of your life, there's no what ifs, 
They know, I wish I'd done better. I wish I'd given my best. You know you gave it all. And you left it out there on the floor of competition, on life's arena floor, and you competed. Now, let's get to talking how we compete better. Let's talk about the daily discipline and the importance of the doesn't matter, get better mentality with my man, Brian Kite. Brian, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to have this conversation. I know a lot of our listeners already follow your work. They're looking forward to the chat as well, uh, especially the work you do around the daily discipline. And so kind of kicking things off, I know uh, from what I've heard in past interviews, discipline was an area that you somewhat struggled with, which is why you're really passionate about pushing that direction. And so what I would love to learn is, is where did you struggle early on in discipline? And I think to set that up, if you could describe what you mean when you say discipline, because a lot of us have a different definition of that than how you use it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it it's funny, right? So when I talk about my own path around, around discipline, you know, I, I probably wouldn't self-describe that as in like, I struggled with discipline in that, but, but here's what like when I like, and I might've even said, Hey, you know, I struggle with discipline. And even if I said it that way, but you know, what, what I find is fascinating is that at the simplest possible term is uh, like discipline is not remotely natural for me. Like it, it is entirely a learned ability. And have you ever done strengths finders? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, you know, they have like, you know, if you, if, if you're not, if you're not familiar with it, for those of you listening, you know, it, it, you, you go through sort of this assessment, there's a book that goes with it and, and you do that this long assessment and there's, there's 36 uh, attributes, right. And then you find out what your strengths are. And, and now the, the newest version of it, it, it actually lists, I don't know if you've seen this, Jake, but it, it lists your strengths out from one to all the way through like 36 or 38, whatever, oh, wow. whatever they have. Right? No, I have, I was about to say, and I just took it like last two months ago when we interviewed Maureen Monty on the show. So yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So like if you, cause they just, they just updated their, their reporting system. And, and I took mine years ago and they sent me an email and said, Hey, we just updated it. And we took all the, the historical data and here's your new report. And it was, it was, it was cool. Right. So I, I was curious. So I, I pulled it up. Discipline was 34 out of 36 of my strengths. <laughs> right now they define discipline a little bit differently than I do, but it was true. Right. So like when I think about my life, I think what the way I would describe it is I was selectively disciplined. And like a lot of people, I was selectively disciplined based on what got my interest, what was fun for me, what was interesting, what <clears throat> my fire, what, what, what sparked me, whatever. Right. And, and, you know, I think in today's terms, we might be like, I was disciplined as long as I was motivated Right. And so when I look at where my gaps were, um, you know, when I was a college football player, right. Plenty of discipline in the weight room, plenty of discipline in practice, not a lot of discipline in studies, not a lot of discipline in, you know, going to class, not a lot of discipline in my own, my own personal development from a, from like a, a, a study habits perspective. Right. Because I lacked motivation in school and in grades and all that stuff but had plenty on a field, right? And what I recognized, sort of my breakthrough was, was that, you know, and I was never somebody who was contingent. So I was never like, I had to get myself motivated. I was always a very internally self-motivated person. I was never interested in being average. I always wanna be great. And the reason I didn't 
you know, try that hard in school is I didn't care about an A versus a C. There was no inherent value to me. And for me, there still isn't. Like whether I got an A or a C, there's no inherent value. Now, if I got an A and I made half a million dollars, but I get a, I made a C and I made $50,000, now I'm inherently driven to do different, right? Like there just wasn't any value between the grade. Unfortunately, on my path, uh, I didn't learn <laughs> because of my lack of discipline on the academic side that the skills I was building immediately translated to the value I could bring to the marketplace and earn with. And so I entered the marketplace with this, with this <clears throat> awareness, knowledge, capacity, recognition of personal discipline, blah, 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 all this different stuff. But I had not built and developed skills that were capable of earning, right? Does that make sense? It does. And actually that led me to a question for you in regards to that, because I know your first attempt at really the work you do now kind of bombed. As I think I've heard you say, it was like zero clients, zero second meetings. Uh, And then what I found interesting, and I'm actually curious to hear is, is you went and worked with your dad who who has done a lot in this leadership in the business side, especially. A lot of people after they go out and attempt in something like that would go the complete opposite field. Like, I don't even want to deal with this type of space in general. You ended up staying with it, just a different industry focus before now, obviously coming full circle again. What was that mindset shift around it? Because it it didn't work out. And instead of just going a completely different path, you you kind of switch gears a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was on a, um, I was on a, a, a uh, Zoom call. I was on a, I mean, a staff meeting this morning uh, on Zoom with a with a college football program, and, and somebody asked um, about fear of failure, and um, you know how do you deal with fear of failure? Um, and and self admittedly, I've never struggled with fear of failure, so so it's something that I've had to I've had to um, you know kind of identify with. Obviously, in the in the sort of the lighter sense, the general sense, like. You know, I want to win, but like I, I never got anxious playing games, and I never got anxious. You know, you know, maybe a little nervous to ask a girl on a date or something like that, right? Like the, the basic stuff. But yeah. you know, I, I've just never really been that afraid to fail because I've always thought, um, you know, fear of failure is like being afraid of something I already don't have. So, like, what, what, you know, I'm already losing. How, how could I possibly lose more, right? So for me, um, it was, <clears throat> I was my first attempt into this, and you're right. I mean, I, I, I went out and I tried to coach coaches work with teams. And, you know, if you're in business and you're in sales, this will make sense. I, I, I didn't even get a second meeting in a, in a, in a year. I mean, $0 in revenue. Right. Um, and the reason is because I just wasn't good enough. Um, coaches are kind of stubborn and hard to, uh, hard not to crack. Uh, they still are. And what I was doing, you know, back in 15, 16 years ago, almost 17 now, you know, it was, it just wasn't quite there yet. Right. So I was dealing with a lot of early adopter resistance. Yep. But for me, the driving piece was this, and this is how I answered the, this, this, this staff today. You know, for me, I've always viewed a disciplined response as its own reward, right? And so, you know, I, I listen to this, right? Compete every day. Um, and this kind of, this sounds kind of, this sounds, this may sound um, uh, <clears throat> like, uh, um, it may sound counterintuitive or it may sound like, oh my gosh, I'm not really sure, but it's this. I believe that people who only like to win are losers. I just do say that before. I just do like, like if you only like to win, there's a really good chance you're a loser because everybody likes to win. And if you can only feel good when you're winning, 
Well, then you got to account for the overwhelming majority of your life where you're not winning. You're either working or you're fighting for, or you're behind, or you're in the amount of average, or you're losing. And so the only time you can have fun and the only time you can enjoy yourself. So I've always identified myself internally as a competitor. I love to compete. If you were to tell me beforehand whether I was going to win or lose in the end, and you still let me go out there, I would go out even if you told me I was going to lose anyway, because I enjoy the process of competing. So for me, going out and doing the business, and you know, I didn't know, you know, now I was hyper confident at 22 when I started this. As I mean, we all I was going to change the world of coaching, right? Like, oh my God, I knew so much more back then, right? Um, and so when I when I failed over the course of that year, the question for me was not, oh my gosh, should I leave this industry? The question was more, how do I, how do I learn how to get good? How do I go get reps? Because my big piece was I wasn't getting my chance to compete. I wasn't even getting in the, in the game, so to speak, because I kept you know, yep. not getting business. And so for me, the transition was I, I went out and I worked with a credit union. So I was trying to get sports teams. Uh, I went and I worked with a credit union. I mean, at 22, I didn't even know what a credit union did. Okay. And I mean that, like, I didn't, I didn't know what a credit union was. And I just did a two hour session on personal development. Right. Cause I, I knew about personal development, but not necessarily credit union. I saw 200 people in the room and I did a two hour session on E plus R equals O and, and, you know, uh, uh, managing your emotions and relationships and trust and competence. And it was, I, I tell people, it was like, uh, it was like, remember when Will Ferrell, uh, in old school did that speech and he kind of like blacked out and then like said brilliant stuff yeah. and then like came back and he had no idea what he had said. It felt like that to me. I got done with that session. Like I remember it like yesterday, like I can picture the room right now. I can see, like I got done with that session and I said to myself, they wouldn't have to pay me a dime to do this. I'd do this. I would do this for free every day of my life. And from that point forward, and I already, I already knew that the topic and the avenue and all of that was interesting. But from that point forward, I disconnected myself from you know, how successful I could be in this field and who I worked with to this is just what I want to spend my time doing. This is what I want to do. If I can find ways to get paid for it and pay for it well and do it at a really high level, I'm going to go pursue that. But I'll do this for free. And that was for me, particularly on the launching side, you know, and I tell people this and they kind of laugh, like the first year when I worked with my dad, uh, you know, I really had two rules. I was like, I'm never working with my dad and I'm never working in business. Right. And I, I worked with my dad for 15 years, you know, but he, he put two good rules in place. He said, number one, um, you don't make any money until you make me money. Um, so he's like, I'm not paying you until you deliver value to our business and revenue. Right. And so I was like commission based on a draw. And then number two is if it's ever between you or the client, if the client ever is like, hey, you know, we just can't have BK here because he's not good enough. He can't cut it. He goes, I will always pick the client just so you know. And so my first year, I made $24,000. My second year, I made 29. And my third year, I killed it and made 36. And so, you know, the first three years of my career, I made 24, 29 and $36,000. And at the time, I was happy. Like I was, I was fired. Now I wasn't, I didn't look at 24 and be like, that's ideal, right? Yeah. <laughs> but what happened was in my mind, I'm like, I'd be doing this for free, but I'm still collecting a paycheck. 
I've been doing this for free and I'm getting, I'm growing and I'm, you know, and so, you know, here we are in, in, in three years in and I'm making $36,000. I was never chasing some, you know, production. I was chasing, am I doing what I really want to be doing? Do I love, when I walk away from this at the end of the day, do I look and be like, I loved what I did. And, you know, I think this is, and I'm on record for this. I think that's one of the biggest overlooked elements of uh, what goes on. Everyone talks about the why these days. Like everybody talks about the why and, and it's a topic, right? And so everybody yep. talking, there's nothing wrong with the why. I, I, I'm all about that. Don't get me wrong. But there is nothing that fades faster in your job than the why. Nothing goes away faster. If you are a teacher, you get into teaching because you love kids. And all it takes is one week of teaching kids for that to go away. Yep. If you're in medicine, I got one of my best friends is having his first kid today. We were just talk, texting about nurses and how nurses are these angels, right? If you're in medicine, you get in because you, 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 you want to serve patients and you love the human body, whatever that is. And, and, but it's, you know, it's also about caring for people. And it's like, once you get into hospital administration, details, insurance repayments, uh, um, government regulation, da, 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 you know, your, 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 uh, uh, your HCAP scores, the why disappears. Yep. There is what you do and there is who you do it with. And the paycheck disappears as well, by the way. Like there's certain things it's like teachers don't do it because they get paid well. Yeah. Right. That's true. You know, uh, 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 but, but go to the inverse, you know, you got these college coaches, you know, I think urban just signed for 12 million with yep. Jacksonville. And, you know, you got these coaches who are getting paid this insane amount of money and they're delivering value where right? there's a, there's a, there's a capitalistic law at, at, at work there. But, you know, does that mean that they can enjoy the job more because they get paid $8 million? Does that mean that they're like, well, I get paid 6 million bucks and 10 million bucks. So everything's all good. No, like it increases. So yeah. you pay somebody 60 grand or 20 grand and you pay somebody 10 million, it doesn't change their enjoyment of what they're doing every day. So for me, it was, do I love what I do? And for me, the calculation was always, I would, and still to this day, like I would do it no matter what. And that's why like with my email, I've sent out an email every day for three consecutive years and it is completely free. You don't have to pay a dime for it. And I put a ton of time into it, right? And I set it up for free because I love to do that work. And then I think it you know, adds value to people, so. So I'm curious along those lines, because something you said kind of spurred a thought is, especially you deal a ton with athletes, you, you work with teams, you coach coaches. A lot of times athletes specifically struggle with the transition to life after sports of that identity that I'm no, no longer the starting quarterback, or I go from high school where I'm this to college and something different. And, and that identity piece of what they do becomes so ingrained in it that if it's ever taken away, they're lost mentally, they're lost emotionally. You talk about the importance of, of loving what you do. How do you make sure that your identity doesn't get completely wrapped up if that were to change? Yeah, you know, so because I don't think what I do is tied to the work or job or task, yep. right? So I, again, and I and I, I actively, I actively in my mind for my whole life since I've been able to really think um, in about this kind of stuff. I, I, you know, I guess I, I've I've got a uh, I've got I, I I refer to it as aggressive humility, right? And so for me, like. No one's ever, no one's ever looked at me 
and seen how I express myself and all of that and been like, boy, that guy just exudes humility, right? Because we we think of humility as as you know, meekness or, yep. and I'm expressive and emotional and I'm, I'm innately confident, you know, again, which again has had plenty of, 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 uh, uh, negative ramifications in my life because my confidence exists innately, even when I don't have confidence to match it. And particularly when I'm, you know, when I was younger, I was really confident when I was not competent and that's a bad look and it, and it, it creates a bad experience for some people. Right. And I paid the price for that. But when I think about aggressive humility, as I look at this, I look at my life and whatever success and good things going on and rolling in my life, I'm always looking and saying, would I be and feel this way if I was a different person in a different situation or if this situation were taken from me? And so I'm always actively saying to myself, okay, uh, I, I just had like a visceral one last week about this exact topic of what if I didn't do this work? What, what if I just didn't do this at all? What if I actually had to go get like a, you know, a real job, right? What if I went and worked for a bank or whoever? Like what, number one, like would I stop doing this? Like, no, I'd still write the email. Um, if I didn't have an avenue to get paid for it, would I still do it? I sure would, because I like it. I think it contributes value. That's one of the things I want to do for the world is give. Um, and then I'm like, okay, and I've cultivated for a long time. If I go broke and I have to go become a Subway sandwich artist, what kind of energy would I bring to that job? Who would I be in that job if I'm the guy standing behind that glass counter asking you, hello, sir, how can I help you? Or I'm serving your Chipotle burrito. What kind of energy would I bring? And the answer for me is always, I would bring the energy of who I am to that work. That would be it. Like my whole job is to make your day better in two ways, through a great experience and great food, right? Like that's what I'm doing. Like you might not like Subway, but if I'm at Subway and I'm, I'm serving the sandwich, whoever's there ordering that Subway likes it. So my job is I'm going to bring it for you. And so for me, it's less about the, the, uh, uh, the environment that I'm actually doing the work in. Now, obviously I'm an advocate of like, put yourself in whatever situation you can get into to do the ideal things that you want to be doing. But at the same time, and I'll, I'll, I'll steal something here. I wish I could claim credit for this because it's brilliant. Um, you know, micro. Yeah. Dirty jobs. Yeah. Micro is one of the most brilliant guys I've ever heard. If you've ever listened to Mike Rowe yep. or heard his thoughts on top, like he's brilliant, right? I listened to a podcast. I wish I remember what, I don't remember if it was on his podcast or if he was on somebody else's, but I heard him say something. I believe his, his grandpa taught it to him. And again, I wish this was mine. He said, don't follow your passion. Just always bring it with you. And I remember hearing that and remember being like, oh, wow. And I heard it halfway through my career. So this was, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. So I was, I was deep in and I'm already, it wasn't something that changed the course of my life. But I remember hearing that and like in a moment, I was like, oh yeah, that's the truth, right? There's so many people who hear follow your passion and then they're like baseball, pools, carpentry. Well, again, whatever their passion is, right? I gotta, I gotta do a job in baseball. And then they're like, okay, well, cool. You can be the groundskeeper. You're like, I don't want to mow grass. Yep. And you're like, yo, you're connected to baseball. Right? Like, like it's like, like who, who, who grows up in medicine and says, you know what? I want to be a proctologist. I want to, I want to be the person who works on people's ass. Like yep. who says that? Or I'm going to be a podiatrist. I'm, you know, I just want to be the person who does foot stuff. Right. Or I want, I want to grow up and I want to be a, uh, I want to be a, uh, what do you call it? The, the skin, a dermatologist. Yep. Right. I want to pop pimples all day. And they're like, no, but people, I don't know. These days, maybe people do. Right. But look, if you, if you 
if you bring your passion, what happens is, I mean, there's people out there in the, in the micro used an example of a, of a guy who has a, a, a septic tank company that is an empire and he's a multimillionaire. And he started out as an employee of uh, driving a septic tank. And he's like, at no point was I passionate right, about going out and picking up and emptying and septic tanks, never. He goes, but what happened was I fell in love with doing the work. I fell in love with what I provided to people. I fell in love with doing a good job. And then I fell in love with what I could grow. Then I fell in love with constructing something. Then I fell in love with building. Then I fell in love with, oh man, like I can actually build a little empire here. Then I fell in love with giving opportunity to others. And what happened was he took a lack of passion for driving a septic truck, which I don't think anybody has, yep. but he had passion that he brought to that work. And then from there he stack, stack, stack. And so when I heard Mike say that, I was like, you know what, <clears throat> that is it. And for me, it was like a reflection of what I believed and lived. And I think like a lot of good people uh, and a lot of good content, some of the best content is stuff that we feel, but we've never really expressed. So things that we innately know and recognize, sometimes that we do, sometimes that we're not doing, but a piece of content or a structure or something will come out and they'd be like, like, oh my God, yeah, that's what I've been trying to, or that's what I do, but nobody's ever said it like that. And I, so that happened for me. And, and so that, that's what I do. Like, I'm going to bring my standards, my energy, my F, I'm going to bring all of that to whatever I'm doing. And, uh, you know, whether I win or lose is not in my control. What I bring to it is in my control. I will win when I'm good enough and I'll lose when I'm not. And I can always get better from there, regardless of what the outcome is. So I'll say, and that's, that's the importance of competing. Cause when, when we do fall short, we figure out how to bridge that gap to that win. We, we learn that, that difference versus being the people that just, you know, everybody loves to win. They just wait on the sidelines till they get in that opportunity and, and try to step in. Uh, one of the things along those lines that, that spurred up that I would be remiss if we didn't kind of wrap up today is the DMGB doesn't matter, mm -hmm. get better. And yeah. talking to a lot of people, I, I love your mentality around that. But a lot of times when we talk to people, they're stuck in the victim mentality. They're it, coach doesn't like me. That's why I'm not starting, you know, so-and-so the cards are just stacked against me. Uh, you know, nothing's going my way. It seems almost running rampant in a lot of parts of society. And part of that could be social part of that just could be um, different groups, but how do we get people on our team and our company and our friend circles to start shifting their attitudes more to that doesn't matter, get better philosophy that, that you're a big proponent of. And I obviously believe in as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, doesn't matter, get better. Um, DMGB, I've got, I've literally got a stick. I'm literally looking at it right here. <laughs> um, you know, it, DMGB is the, it's the mindset and it's the answer to everything. And, you know, it's really not an overstatement. You know, I think people hear that and they're like, really? And I'm like, well, yeah, no, it is. Like it, it's everything because, because what's the alternative? Right? Like, like, you know, you get divorced and then you're like, what? No, it's not a DMGB moment. Okay. So what, what are you going to do? Go and in, go into a, go to a spiral of self-loathing and pity and, yep. and never trust or love anybody ever again. You know, oh, no, but we have kids. So it's devastating. Okay. Well, I'm a, I'm a kid of divorce. I grew up and yeah, that was painful, but I have great relationships with both my parents who love me a whole lot. And, and I'm a better dad because of what I went through. Uh, 
like if I was if I wasn't DMGB because I went through something painful growing up as a kid, look at the consequences. Like, so as soon as we get away from that, everything goes downhill. That's number one. Number two is what is DMGB underneath, right? DMGB is a nice tagline. Doesn't matter, get better. It sounds it sounds fine, right? Um, just like you know, uh, what's Jocko say, right? Jocko says good, right? Yep. He always got his good, right? Good. And he's like, well, what if you get cancer? You know, what are you saying? It's a good thing to get cancer. And of course, ignore all of those people, right? Yep. Um, my, my dad was diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer in April, right? It's a DMGB moment. Like, and what people will say is they'll, they'll isolate one of the two things. Oh, so your dad getting cancer doesn't matter. I'm like, obviously that's half yep. of it, right? That's half the equation, not the whole thing. So like you have to put the whole thing together. It doesn't matter, get better. Meaning what? It's not, doesn't matter that he has cancer. It doesn't matter that I wish he didn't because I can't undo the cancer he already has. I can't do that. I can't rewind and be like, Hey, get tested earlier. Or, Hey, you know, we should have gotten more time to get like, no, like none of that is possible. We are now in, once you have cancer, you're in a DMGB moment. There's no going backward. It's all what now, what do we do? We're going to, we're going to sit here and, just ball our eyes out and everything is awful and our life is never going to be okay. There's a lot of people who do that when they get a cancer diagnosis and it breaks my heart. So DMGB is two things underneath. It is unflinching realism combined with relentless optimism. That's what it is, right? DMGB is we are going to look at realistic. We're going to look at realism in an unflinching way. Number one is most people selectively look at realism. And number two is they'll look at realism, but then flinch, right? They'll be like, then the second part is the optimism, right? And some people just aren't naturally optimistic. Some people are overly, right? But then there's also some people are optimistic as long as I'm making progress. This is a good workout thing. I'm optimistic as long as I'm making gains or I'm losing. This is one of the big reasons goal setting and timelines and all that stuff is so against like you want to get in shape, go work out for a year. Like don't check yourself for 12 months. Just yep. go work your ass off. You'll be fine. The problem is you check yourself at eight weeks. You don't like where your progress is and you stop and yep. change, right? Yep. Like not confusing. So the optimism is the other side, but now this is where the, this is where the real 1% magic is. What happens, Jake, if I tell somebody, I want you to be relentlessly optimistic. What most of the time, if I say, I want you to be relentlessly optimistic, does that person do with realism in their life? If they raise optimism, what happens to realism? It goes out the window. They take that overly positivity approach and just dismiss it. And by the way, that's just as ineffective, unproductive, and annoying as the person who's super pessimistic, isn't it? Yep. The person who can't see reality, but is very happy. Like I can stand that person for about four minutes, right? And then it's like, get away. Yep. Okay. But what about the person who's just keeping it real, right? Telling it like it is the ultra realistic person. What happens to their optimism? Disappears. And so what happens is they treat it like a teeter-totter because in their mind and the way that we've grown up and looked at the world is you can be optimistic or you can be realistic and they move like opposing scales. And that's how most people treat it. DMGB says, no, we're not doing that. We are treating these optimism and realism like two rails on a railway. The train can't run right unless we have both rails. And I treat it like this. Choosing optimism or realism is like saying, would you prefer your right leg or your left leg? Yeah, right? you pick that. <laughs> I, 
Okay. Or it's like this and you, you know, you can do this, right? I think you're standing up right now. Yep. It's like this Try, trying to be optimistic at the expense of realistic or realistic without with letting optimism go would be like this. Okay, great. That's literally like trying to stand on one leg. Can you stand on one leg for a little while? Of course you can. Yep. Of course you can. Right. But if you stand on one leg too long, number one, it gets tired. Number two, it gets weak. And number three is while you're standing on one leg, the slightest kind of disruption topples you over. Now you could say, okay, I'll stand on one leg and then I'll switch to the other leg, but you're super unstable and you're constantly going back and forth, right? Meaning you're never really gonna get much done. What makes you stable? What makes you strong? What makes you secure? And what makes you with the ability to move like you really wanna move? It's having your feet planted on the ground. So for me, DMGB is planting optimism and realism with like both feet on the ground and saying, I cannot afford to lose touch with either one of those things. Otherwise, there's going to be a problem in my life. Man, I love that. And that's, that's all my control, by the way, right? Like E plus R. Look where we yep. are. Look where we are, right? Like the COVID, the lockdown, all of that different stuff. Everybody talks about blah, 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 blah. I'm like, look, it's not going to be over fast. I have no idea what's going to happen. It's not going to work out particularly well, but there's going to be all kinds of great things. We're going to be super realistic. And by the way, we're in the middle of January. We're about to be done with January. Uh, we're going to be at the end of February. Get ready because January and February, maybe March, are going to be the worst months yet. Yep. Okay. Like, let's just embrace that. Like, the numbers are going to be second strain, blah, blah, blah. That's realism. Okay. Now, am I optimistic that maybe we can beat it? Sure. Am I optimistic that eventually we'll get out of it? Absolutely, I am. Yep. But I'm also realistic of like, there's a real good chance this gets worse over the next three or four months. Okay. If, if I, believe me, if I had the power to change it, I would believe me. Like I would, I would use that business model, <laughs> like, I, but, I don't. but I don't. So I, I sit in the same seat that you sit in and I, I have the same general concerns that you have myself, my family, blah, blah, blah. But I'm never going to allow my realism to diminish my optimism or my optimism to cloud my realism. Well, and it also doing so prevents you from the most importantly is what's within your control. You have the event. This is your response. What are you going to do? And most people don't take that power of their response, which is something you you talk about so much. And I appreciate and just love hearing it reinforced, especially as the railroad tracks for our listeners. That's a, a fantastic image of that. Brian, man, you produce man, daily content that blows me away. And I thought I produced a ton of stuff between your daily email, daily discipline email. You've got the videos you launch. The podcast launches next week as this is airing end of January. It's launching February 1st. Where can people get connected with the daily discipline, get plugged in, get that daily hit uh, of growth, of learning, and as well as to get connected with you? Because I know similar to me, you do a ton of virtual programs and eventually when this all ends, you'll be back doing more in person. Where can they find out more information about that work? Yeah, you know, the, the fun part is I, I you know, I'm, I am doing it in person for, uh, for any of the, the people groups that want to do it. And, you know, obviously that, a lot of that's regulated by states and, yep. and whatnot, but, uh, you know, we're, we're rock and rolling with, uh, in-person virtual and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, the, you mentioned the, the first and easiest place is, is the daily discipline email that I send out every Monday through Friday at 6 AM. It's totally free, always will be. Um, and you can get that at dailydiscipline.com. Uh, just name and email, uh, basic subscription. Um, and obviously I, I have a website, tbriankite.com. You can, you can access it through there. And then, you know, I've done this for three years. I've written those emails for three, over three years now. So I don't know what the math is, but I think it's 760 something emails that I've written over the last 
uh, and me message. And they're very brief, right? They're, they're about the length of a phone. Yep. Um, and so what I've what I what we did this year was we launched the daily discipline videos, and we'll be launching obviously the, on February first the podcast. Just taking, you know, I, I go through and, and I, I take one email message from each year, and each day I I I, I do. Uh, I put it on video and I put it on audio. So, yep. you know, some people don't like a daily email um, and I don't mind that. Like, I don't know that I want more emails in. And so some people really like that. And if they don't, you know, I will never criticize somebody who doesn't want another email in their inbox. Yep. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just want that, you know, one to four minute, like focusing message, but you'd rather have it on audio or you'd rather watch it on video or, or obviously a lot of my clients are, uh, are using it with their teams. And so they're watching the video as a team and then having a discussion. And so obviously YouTube, um, Instagram, uh, and my, my social handle T Brian kite, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, all those places. Uh, that's where you can connect. I was about to say, and we will have that linked in all the show notes for anyone listening on that note, last question for you. What's the biggest lesson or takeaway you took from your social media break that you took at the end of 2020? Oh yeah. Uh, so I wasn't on social from October through January. Um, it was the best. Uh, and then I came back on and six days in, there was a riot at the Capitol. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the one who caused it by coming back on social. Uh, that's humor, by the way, please don't, please don't send your canceled agents at me. Um, biggest lesson that I learned. Um, well, one, I just did it for myself. It wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, I didn't do it as a, as a, my team wanted me to write an article about, you know, all the things I learned. And I told them no, cause it wasn't for, it wasn't for me to teach anybody else. It was just me. Right. I just, I, I didn't want it. Um, the biggest lesson that, uh, I learned is that, um, is that, and I, I guess there's a preceding one. Number one, things aren't bad, but our relationships with them can be alcohol. Isn't bad. Your relationship with it can be social media. Isn't bad. It's neutral, but your relationship with it can be the most important lesson I learned is, uh, is to, if I don't set very specific high standards and filters for what is on my social media, what I see on my social media, um, it will force feed content in front of me that will make me feel ways I don't want to feel. And without social media, there is ex exactly zero of that in my life. Zero. Like I never see content that I don't want to see, makes me irritated, makes me angry, makes me go, what? And think about it. And I'm back. I don't know what, how many days in 14, 15, whatever the days in. Right. Um, like I'm two weeks back in and I'm, I can tell you already, like it's an increase in like the stuff I see that I have no interest in, but it like flashes across my eyes. Um, you know, I, I got to set really tight controls on that. So if I didn't have to be on social media, I wouldn't be. I, uh, I love that because I, I have the similar opinion. Uh, actually, it's funny as you teed it up. This airs on January 27th. The episode that aired on the 25th is all around just four ways to more intentionally use social because my own personal experience going through the same thing, like seeing things, stress levels, just like, why am I thinking this? Like going through and being like, I need to clean stuff off. I need to make intentional lists. I need to get out of the feed. So I really encouraging hearing that. I was, I was impressed when I saw that you were doing the, the break uh, and wanted our listeners to hear because we, we talk about it as well. Brian, man, this has been a blast. I know we've been a little bit longer than promised, but dude, thank you incredibly for your time today. Uh, listeners, go check out his site. Get signed up for the Daily Discipline. I promise you won't be disappointed. And my man, have a great 2021. Appreciate it. Thanks. 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. As always, drop us a note with your feedback to podcast at competeeveryday.com. Check out more episodes, find amazing apparel, get connected with the community at competeeveryday.com. And until next week, bring your best, show up every day regardless of how you feel, and be that type of competitor you were created to be. Thank you.